Section 11 of Library of the World's Best Mystery and Detective Stories, Volume 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Stephen Carney. Library of the World's Best Mystery and Detective Stories, Volume 2, by Julian Hawthorne, Editor. Section 11 the baron's quarry the baron's quarry by edgerton castle oh no i assure you you are not bothering mr marshfield said this personage himself in his gentle voice that curious voice that could flow on for hours promulgating profound and startling theories on every department of human knowledge or conducting paradoxical arguments without a single inflection or pause of hesitation i am on the contrary much interested in your hunting talk to paraphrase a well-worn quotation somewhat widely nihil humanum a me alienum est even hunting stories may have their point of biological interest the philologist sometimes pricks his ear to the jargon of the chase moreover i am not incapable of appreciating the subject matter itself this seems to excite some derision i admit i am not much of a sportsman to look at nor either indeed by instinct yet i have had some out-of-the-way experiences in that line generally when intent on other pursuits i doubt for instance if even you major travers notwithstanding your well-known exploits against man and beast notwithstanding that doubtful smile of yours could match the strangeness of a certain hunting adventure in which i played an important part the speaker's small, deep-set black eyes that never warmed to anything more human than a purely speculative scientific interest in his surroundings, here wandered round the skeptical yet expectant circle with bland amusement. He stretched out his bloodless fingers for another of his host's superfine cigars and proceeded, with only such interruptions as were occasioned by the lighting and careful smoking of the latter i was returning home after my prolonged stay in petersburg intending to linger on my way and test with mine own ears certain among the many dialects of eastern europe anent which there is a symmetrical little cluster of philological knotty points it is my modest intention one day to unravel however that is neither here nor there on the road to hungary i bethought myself opportunely of proving the once pressingly offered hospitality of the baron kosowski you may have met the man major travers he was a tremendous sportsman if you like i first came across him at mcneil's palace in remote ireland now being in bacoana within measurable distance of his carpathian abode and curious to see a polish lord at home i remembered his invitation it was already of long standing but it had been warm born in fact of a sudden fit of enthusiasm for me here a half-mocking smile quivered an instant under the speaker's black moustache which as it was characteristic i may as well tell you about it was on the day of or rather to be accurate on the day after my arrival toward the small hours of the morning in the smoking-room at rathdrum our host was peacefully snoring over his empty pipe and his seventh glass of whisky also empty the rest of the men had slunk off to bed the baron who all unknown to himself had been a subject of most interesting observation to me the whole evening being now practically alone with me condescended to turn an eye as wide awake as a fox's albeit slightly bloodshot upon the contemptible white-faced person who had preferred spending the raw hours over his papers within the radius of a glorious fire's warmth 
to creeping slyly over treacherous quagmires and in pursuit of timid bog creatures snipe shooting had been the order of the day the baron i say became aware of my existence and entered into conversation with me he would no doubt have been much surprised could he have known that he was already mapped out craniologically and physiognomically catalogued with care and neatly laid by in his proper ethnological box in my private type museum that as i sat and examined him from my different coins of vantage in library in dining and smoking-room that evening not a look of his not a gesture went forth but had significance for me you i had thought with your broad shoulders and deep chest your massive head that should have gone with a tall stature not with those short sturdy limbs with your thick red hair that should have been black for that matter as should your wide-set yellow eyes you would be a real puzzle to one who did not recognize in you equal mixtures of the fair stalwart and muscular slav with a bilious sanguine thick-set wiry terranean your pedigree would no doubt bear me out there is as much of the magyar as of the pole in your anatomy athlete and yet a tangle of nerves a ferocious root at bottom i dare say for your broad forehead inclines to flatness under your bristling beard your jaw must protrude and the base of your skull is ominously thick and with all that capable of dealing transports when that girl played and sang to-night i saw the swelling of your eyelid veins and how that small tenacious claw-like hand of yours twitched you would be a fine leader of men but god help the wretches in your power so i had mused upon him yet i confess that when we came in closer contact with each other even i was not proof against the singular courtesy of his manner and his unaccountable personal charm our conversation soon grew interesting to me as a matter of course and evidently to him also a few general words led to interchange of remarks upon the country we were both visitors in and so to national characteristics pole and irishman have not a few in common both in their nature and history an observation which he made not without a certain flash in his light eyes and a transient uncovering of teeth on the irish type of female beauty suddenly suggested to me a stanza of an ancient polish ballad very full of milk and blood imagery of alternating ferocity and voluptuousness this i quoted to the astounded foreigner in the vernacular and this it was that metamorphosed his mere perfection of civility into sudden warmth and in fact procured me the invitation in question when i left rathdrum the baron's last words to me were that if i ever thought of visiting his country otherwise than in books he held me bound to make Yanni his galician seat my headquarters of study from zernowich therefore where i stopped some time i wrote received in due time a few lines of prettily worded reply and ultimately entered my sled in the nearest town to yet at a most forbidding distance from yanni and started on my journey thither the undertaking meant many long hours of undulation and skidding over the november snow to the somniferous bell jangle of my dirty little horses the only impression of interest being a weird gypsy concert i came in for at a miserable drinking booth half buried in the snow where we halted for the refreshment of man and beast here i remember i discovered a very definite connection between the characteristic run of the cymbal the peculiar bite of the zinniger's bow on his fiddle-string and some distinctive point of terranean tongues in other countries in spain for instance your gypsy speaks differently on his instrument but oddly enough when i later attempted to put this observation on paper i could find no word to express it a few of our company evinced signs of sleepiness 
but most of us who knew marshfield and that he could unless he had something novel to say be as silent and retiring as he now evinced signs of being copious awaited further developments with patience he has his own deliberate way of speaking which he evidently enjoys greatly though it be occasionally trying to his listeners on the afternoon of my second day's drive the snow which till then had fallen fine and continuous ceased and my yehu suddenly interrupting himself in the midst of some exciting wolf story quite in keeping with the time of year and the wild surroundings pointed to a distant spot against the gray sky to the northwest between two wood-covered folds of ground the first eastern spurs of the great carpathian chain there stands yanni said he i looked at my far-off goal with interest as we drew nearer the sinking sun just dipping behind the hills tinged the now distinct frontage with a cold copper-like gleam but it was only for a minute the next the building became nothing more to the eye than a black irregular silhouette against the crimson sky before we entered the long steep avenue of poplars the early winter darkness was upon us rendered all the more depressing by gray mists which gave a ghostly aspect to such objects as the sheen of the snow rendered visible once or twice there were feeble flashes of light looming in iridescent halos as we passed the little clusters of hovels but for which i should have been induced to fancy that the great hoff stood alone in the wilderness such was the deathly stillness around but even as the tall square building rose before us above the vapour yellow lighted in various stories and mighty in height and breadth there broke upon my ear a deep-mouthed menacing bay which gave at once almost alarming reality to the eerie surroundings his lordship's boar and wolfhounds quoth my charioteer calmly unmindful of the regular pandemonium of howls and barks which ensued as he skilfully turned his horses through the gateway and flogged the tired beasts into a sort of shambling canter that we might land with glory before the house door a weakness common i believe to drivers of all nations i alighted in the court of honour and while awaiting an answer to my tug at the bell stood broken with fatigue depressed chilled and aching questioning the wisdom of my proceedings and the amount of comfort physical and moral that was likely to await me in the tete-a-tete visit with a well-mannered savage in his own home the unkempt tribe of stable retainers who began to gather round me and my rough vehicle in the gloom with their evil-smelling sheepskins and their resigned battered visages were not calculated to reassure me yet when the door opened there stood a smart chasseur and a solemn major-domo who might but just have stepped out of mayfair and there was displayed a spreading vista of warm deep-coloured halls with here a statue and there a stuffed bear and underfoot pile carpet strewn with the rarest skins marvelling yet comforted withal i followed the solemn butler who received me with a deference due an expected guest and expressed the master's regret for his enforced absence till dinner-time i traversed vast rooms each more sumptuous than the last feeling the strangeness of the contrast between the outer desolation and the sybaritic excess of luxury growing ever more strongly upon me caught a glimpse of a picture-gallery where peculiar yet admirably executed latter-day french pictures hung side by side with ferocious boar-hunts of snyder and such kin and at length was ushered into a most cheerful room modern to excess in its comfortable promise where in addition to the tall stove necessary for warmth there burned an open hearth a vastly pleasant fire of resinous logs and where on a low table awaited me a dainty service of fragrant russian tea 
my impression of utter novelty seemed somehow enhanced by this unexpected refinement in the heart of the solitudes and in such a rugged shell and yet when i came to reflect it was only characteristic of my cosmopolitan host but another surprise was in store for me when i had recovered bodily warmth and mental equilibrium in my downy armed chair before the roaring logs and during delicious absorption of my second glass of tea i turned my attention to the french valet evidently the baron's own man who was deftly unpacking my portmanteau and who unless my practised eye deceived me asked for nothing better than to entertain me with agreeable conversation the while your master is out then quoth i knowing that the most trivial remark would suffice to start him true monseigneur was out he was desolated in despair this was the national amiable and imaginative instinct but it was doubtless important business m le baron had the visit of his factor during the midday meal had left the table hurriedly and had not been seen since madame la baronne had been a little suffering but she would receive monsieur madame exclaimed i astounded is your master then married since when visions of a fair charter fit mate for my baron immediately springing somewhat alluringly before my mental vision but the answer dispelled the picturesque fancy oh yes said the man with a somewhat peculiar expression yes monseigneur is married did monsieur not know and yet it was from england that monseigneur brought back his wife an englishwoman my first thought was one of pity an englishwoman alone in this wilderness two days drive from even a railway station and at the mercy of kosowski but the next minute i reversed my judgment probably she adored her rufous lord took his veneer curiosity a veneer of most exquisite polish i grant you but perilously thin for the very perfection of chivalry or perchance it was his inner savageness itself that charmed her the most refined women often amaze one by the fascination which the preponderance of the brute in the opposite sex seems to have for them i was anxious to hear more is it not dull for the lady here at this time of the year the valet raised his shoulders with a gesture of despair that was almost passionate dull ah monsieur could not conceive to himself the dullness of it that poor madame la baronne not even a little child to keep her company on the long long days when there was nothing but snow in the heaven and on the earth and the howling of the wind and the dogs to cheer her at the beginning indeed it had been different when the master first brought home his bride the house was gay enough it was all redecorated and refurnished to receive her monsieur should have seen it before a mere rendezvous de chasse for the matter of that so were all the country houses in these parts ah that was a good time there were visits month after month parties sleighing dancing trips to st petersburg and vienna but this year it seemed they were to have nothing but boars and wolves how madame could stand it well it was not for him to speak and have a deeping sigh he delicately inserted my white tie round my collar and with a flourish twisted it into an irreproachable bow beneath my chin i did not think it right to cross-examine the willing talker any further especially as despite his last asseveration there were evidently volumes he still wished to pour forth but i confess that as i made my way slowly out of the room along the noiseless length of passage i was conscious of an unwanted not to say vulgar curiosity concerning the woman who had captivated such a man as the baron kosowski in a fit of speculative abstraction i must have taken the wrong turning for i presently found myself in a long narrow passage i did not remember i was retracing my steps when there came the sound of rapid footfalls upon stone flags 
a little door flew open in the wall close to me and a small thick-set man huddled in a rough sheepskin of the galician peasant with a mangy fur cap on his head nearly ran headlong into my arms i was about condescendingly to interpolate him in my best polish when i caught the gleam of an angry yellow eye and noted the bristle of a red beard kosowski amazed i fell back a step in silence with a growl like an uncouth animal disturbed he drew his filthy cap over his brow with a savage gesture and pursued his way down the corridor at a sort of wild boar trot this first meeting between host and guest was so odd so incongruous that it afforded me plenty of food for a fresh line of conjecture as i traced my way back to the picture gallery and from thence successfully to the drawing-room which as the door was ajar i could not this time mistake it was large and lofty and dimly lit by shaded lamps through the rosy gloom i could at first only just make out a slender figure by the hearth but as i advanced this was resolved into a singularly graceful woman in clinging fur-trimmed velvet gown who with one hand resting on the high mantelpiece the other hanging listlessly by her side stood gazing down at the crumbling wood fire as if in a dream my friends are kind enough to say that i have a cat-like tread i know not how that may be at any rate the carpet i was walking upon was thick enough to smother a heavier footfall not until i was quite close to her did my hostess become aware of my presence then she started violently and looked over her shoulder at me with dilating eyes evidently a nervous creature i saw the pulse in her throat strained by her attitude flutter like a terrified bird the next instant she had stretched out her hand with sweet english words of welcome and the face which i had been comparing in my mind to that of guido cenci became transformed by the arch and exquisite smile of a greuse for more than two years i had had no intercourse with any of my nationality i could conceive the sound of his native tongue under such circumstances moving a man in a curious unexpected fashion i babbled some commonplace reply after which there was silence while we stood opposite each other she looked at me expectantly at length with a sigh checked by a smile and an overtone of sadness in a voice had yet tried to be sprightly am i then so changed mr marshfield she asked and all at once i knew her the girl whose nightingale throat had redeemed the desolation of the evenings at rathdrum whose sunny beauty had seemed even to my celebrated cold-blooded asceticism worthy to haunt a man's dreams yes there was the subtle curve of the waist the warm line of the throat the dainty foot the slender tip-tilted fingers witty fingers as i had classified them which i now shook like a true briton instead of availing myself of the privilege the country gave me and kissing her slender wrist but she was changed and i told her so with unconventional frankness studying her closely as i spoke i am afraid i said gravely that this place does not agree with you she shrank from my scrutiny with a nervous movement and flushed to the roots of her red-brown hair then she answered coldly that i was wrong that she was in excellent health but that she could not expect any more than other people to preserve perennial youth i rapidly calculated she might be two-and-twenty though indeed with a little forced laugh it was scarcely flattering to hear one had altered out of all recognition then without allowing me time to reply she plunged into a general topic of conversation which as i should have been obtuse indeed not to take the hint i did my best to keep up but while she talked of vienna and warsaw of her distant neighbors and last year's visitors it was evident that her mind was elsewhere her eye wandered she lost the thread of her discourse answered me at random and smiled her piteous smile incongruously however lonely she might be in her solitary splendor 
the company of a countryman was evidently no such welcome diversion after a little while she seemed to feel herself that she was lacking in cordiality and bringing her absent gaze to bear upon me with a puzzled strained look i fear you will find it very dull she said my husband is so wrapped up in this winter in his country life and his sport you are the first visitor we have had there is nothing but guns and horses here and you do not care for these things the door creaked behind us and the baron entered in faultless evening dress before she turned toward him i was sharp enough to catch again the unpleeping of a quick dread in her eyes not even so much dread perhaps i thought afterwards as horror the horror we notice in some animals at the nearing of a beast of prey it was gone in a second and she was smiling but it was a revelation perhaps he beat her in russian fashion and she as an englishwoman was narrow-minded enough to resent this or perhaps merely i had the misfortune to arrive during a matrimonial misunderstanding the baron would not give me leisure to reflect he was so very effusive in his greeting not a hint of our previous meeting unlike my hostess all in all to me eager to listen to reply almost affectionate full of references to old times and genial allusions no doubt when he chose he could be the most charming of men there were moments when looking at him in his quiet smile and restrained gesture the almost exaggerated politeness of his manner to his wife whose fingers he had kissed with pretty old-fashioned gallantry upon his entrance i asked myself could that encounter in the passage been a dream could that savage in the sheepskin be my courteous entertainer just as i came in did i hear my wife say there was nothing for you to do in this place he said presently to me then turning to her you do not seem to know mr marshfield whoever he can open his eyes there is for him something to see which might not interest other men he will find things in my library which i will have no notion of he will discover objects for scientific observations in all the members of my household not only in the good-looking maids though he could i have no doubt tell their points as i could those of a horse we have maidens here of several distinct races marshfield we have also witches and jew leeches and holy daft people in any case yanni with all its dependencies material male and female are at your disposal for what you can make out of them it is good he went on gaily that you should happen to have this happy disposition for i fear that no later than to-morrow i may have to absent myself from home i have heard that there are news of wolves they threaten to be a greater pest than usual this winter but i am going to drive them on quite a new plan and it will go hard with me if i don't come even with them well for you by the way marshfield that you did not pass within their scent to-day then musingly i should not give much for the life of a traveller who happened to wander in these parts just now here he interrupted himself hastily and went over to his wife who had sunk back on her chair livid seemingly on the point of swooning his gaze was devouring so might a man look at the woman he adored in his anxiety what faint violet alarmed his voice was subdued yet there was an unmistakable thrill of emotion in it pshaw thought i to myself the man is a model husband she clenched her hands and by sheer force of will seemed to pull herself together these nervous women have often an unexpected fund of strength come that is well said the baron with a flickering smile mr marshfield will think you but badly acclimatized to poland if a little wolf scare can upset you my dear wife is so soft-hearted he went on to me that she is capable of making herself quite ill over the sad fate that might have but has not overcome you or perhaps he added in a still gentler voice her fear is that i may expose myself to danger for the public weal she turned her head away 
but i saw her set her teeth as if to choke a sob the baron chuckled in his throat and seemed to luxuriate in the pleasant thought at this moment folding doors were thrown open and supper was announced i offered my arm she rose and took it in silence this silence she maintained during the first part of the meal despite her husband's brilliant conversation and almost uproarious spirits but by and by a bright color mounted to her cheeks and luster to her eyes i suppose you will think me horribly unpoetical if i add that she drank several glasses of champagne one after the other a fact which perhaps may account for the change at any rate she spoke and laughed and looked lovely and i did not wonder that the baron could hardly keep his eyes off her but whether it was her wifely anxiety or not it was evident her mind was not at ease through it at all and i fancy that her brightness was feverish her merriment slightly hysterical after supper an exquisite one it was we adjourned together in foreign fashion to the drawing-room the baron threw himself into a chair and somewhat with the air of a pasha demanded music he was flushed the veins of his forehead were swollen and stood out like cords the wine drunk at table was potent even through my phlegmatic frame it ran hotly she hesitated a moment or two then docilely sat down to the piano that she could sing i have already made clear how she could sing with what pathos passion as well as perfect art i had never realized before when the song was ended she remained for a while with eyes lost in distance very still save for her quick breathing it was clear she was moved by the music indeed she must have thrown her whole soul into it end of section eleven read by stephen carney